When I got here this morning, I thought, if I just go back home, I don't have to do this. (laughs) Uh, But I came anyway, or I stayed, I should say. But I honestly don't know exactly how to do this. Uh, I have a few pages of notes. I'm probably not going to use a single one of them this morning, Uh, but I don't know how to say goodbye. Uh, (laughs) And that's it. I'm done. No, I'm just... (laughs) We started off with Abram this morning in Genesis chapter 12, and this is one of the key promises that rings through all of Scripture. God says to Abraham, or Abram at the time, go, and I am going to do something spectacular in your life and through your life that's going to impact the world. Now, I am not Abram. Kayla is not Sarai. Uh, For one thing, we already have a bunch of children. Uh, (laughs) But for another, uh, God is doing, I think, a wonderful but maybe smaller thing. He's not going to base all of, God, all of his purposes on our lives. Yet I have kept coming back to this story over and over and over again over the last several months. Um, we're going on an adventure, and it wasn't our idea. And we're leaving people we love behind. And we're doing it because we think God has plans both there and here. But all that we have to hold on to in the meantime is his promise. The faith is not yet sight. And people, you guys especially, I am amazed. You have pastored us through this in so many ways because you have asked us about our future and you haven't been afraid of it. And I can't express to you how great a gift that has been to us. And you have expressed confidence in your future as well, even as you've expressed some fear and some anxiety and even, I think, some frustration over what's happening in these moments. And we needed both from you, and you were not sparing in giving it to us. Thank you. In The Lord of the Rings, Frodo, or Bilbo says to his nephew Frodo, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out of your door. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there is no knowing where you might be swept off to. Tolkien, of course, was a Christian. And he wrote The Lord of the Rings in part to share what his faith was with the rest of the world. To encourage people to glimpse behind uh, the everyday events that they were a part of, and even the spectacular events they were a part of, and wonder who's behind it all. Because he was convinced that when you step out of your door and you get swept away, it may not be on purpose for you, but somebody, God, has purposed that. We are all of us stepping out of the door. But the lie in that is that we aren't spending our whole lives stepping out the door. Every moment of our life is an opportunity for God to grab us and do something we didn't expect, we didn't ask for, we might not have chosen on our own, just like Bilbo when he went on his quest to the Lonely Mountain. I'm sorry if you don't know Lord of the Rings very well. You're probably going to be lost a bit this morning. That's cool. Bilbo was lost a lot too. (laughs) 
my family and I are heading to a brand new place. And while we're being met by God's people there, and I know some of them are actually watching this morning, and we're grateful for your encouragement, uh, we're still leaving behind friends and family. We're leaving behind an established and growing ministry. And the comfort that comes from being in a place that we know, doing things that we understand. To be honest with you, we're excited and we're scared. We can be both at the same time. We are, not just in metaphor, but also very literally going out of our door. And even though we will visit here in the years to come, we know it'll never be the same. And as for you all, after breaking me in, you've had me for the last 10 years as your pastor, but now you're going to have to pastor each other for a time. You're facing uncertainty about whether or not you can do it, about how long it will take, about what a new pastor will be like when he or she gets here. You're concerned about who will care for you in these days and guide you, and just how long you'll have to bear a burden you didn't ask for. You too are going out your door, and it's a serious thing, a dangerous business, as Bilbo said. And I think I have a few things. Well, I don't have a few things. I think Scripture has a few things to help us this morning. So I want to take a look with you at Matthew chapter 14, the story Debbie just read for us. Now, Jesus, he sends his disciples home, and he sends them home. If you didn't catch the context before this, and we didn't read it for you, right before this story happens, Jesus has fed the 5,000. There were 5,000 men who had followed him out into the wilderness, along with uh, women and children. Their families had come with them, too. There were who knows how many thousands of people with Jesus. And his disciples said, it's getting late, and this is a desolate place. Send these people back to their homes. You know, they need something to eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. And his disciples say, well, how are we going to do that, Jesus? We have five loaves of bread and two fish, and we don't know how many thousands of people are out there. And Jesus says, that's cool. I can do it. And he breaks the bread, and he distributes the fish, and he prays over all of it. Not only is there enough for every single person there to have their fill, but there are 12 basketfuls of bread left over at the end. His disciples have just seen this happen. And then Jesus, once he has taken care of everybody, sends the thousands home and sends his disciples across the sea. And I wonder what they were thinking at the moment. Jesus is like, hey guys, go across the sea. I'll see you soon. Like, but Jesus, we're taking the only boat. Jesus, that's fine. I'm going to pray. It's going to be, God will provide. I don't know what he says. Scripture doesn't tell us what he says, but this is the situation. The disciples are sailing across the sea. Jesus is on the hilltop praying, and a big storm whips up. And the disciples find the going harder and harder and harder, and Jesus isn't with them. And eventually, you can imagine the wind is blowing so hard, and storms whip up on the Sea of Galilee like this. All of a sudden, Fierce enough to sink ships. And the disciples must have been worried that that's exactly what's going to happen to them. Let me tell you, the fact that Jesus fed the 5,000 is not strongly on their minds at the moment. What's on their minds is, I hope we live to make it to the other side. Now, meanwhile, Jesus is praying on the hill, and I don't know if he's super spiritual and he's praying so hard, he doesn't even notice the storm whip up, but eventually, when it's time, he looks up and he sees that the disciples, their boats being swamped, they're out in the middle of the sea, they're not making any progress, and he says, well, I guess I better go help them. So he gets up and he starts walking on the water to the disciples. He starts walking on the water to them. 
Now, the disciples, in the meantime, as they're, they've probably got their eyes down, you know, bailing and rowing or trimming the sails or whatever it is that they need to do, they've got their eyes down, but one of them at some point looks up and they see someone walking on the water toward them. And what do they conclude? Like, Jesus fed the 5,000. That's probably him. He's coming out to rescue us. Of course not. They go, it's a ghost. <laughs> And they're terrified. You know, they're scared. They thought they were scared before, but not only are they about to die, but the ghosts are coming to get them. And then somebody realizes. Jesus says to them, take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. When Jesus sees the disciples struggling, he goes to them. And even though they can hardly believe that it's him, when they start to have the tiniest bit of faith, tiniest bit of trust that in the midst of the storm, Jesus has exercised his power to come to them and help them and rescue them, they get so inspired by what Jesus is doing and who he is, that Peter asks if he can come out and meet Jesus. Now, I have so much respect for Peter at this point. Because if, if I was in the boat, I would have said, Jesus, get in here quick! <laughs> but Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, command me to get out of the boat and start walking toward you. Sometimes smart people, truly smart people, reason that if there's a God, uh, there's no way he's interested in you and I. Right? He's so big, we're so little. I mean, do you go out every day to the thousand anthills in your backyard, if it's anything like the manse, and like, hey guys, how are you doing today? Can I do anything for you? How can I help you today? You know what I do? I get the poison. It's a good thing I'm not God. Because what a waste of my time. Right? Ants, they got their thing. Some of them will live. Some of them will die. I hope they all die because they get into the house and it's a big pain. And people think if there is a God, that must be what our relationship would be like. If he even notices us, it's like, man, these human beings got into the bathroom again today. They got in, I left out a piece of bread on the counter and they're carrying it off. It's gross. And there's a lot that makes sense about that, right? If we're doing the human-to-ant comparison, right? But there's a problem with this comparison. There actually, I think there are two problems with thinking this way. If there is a God out there, he must not care about us and our problems. We're too teeny-tiny for him to possibly care. The first is that we're assuming that God is just like us at the end of the day, right? I'm not interested in ants, and I, I'm human. I don't have time for ants. I got bigger fish to fry, hopefully literally. I love fish. But God, he, he is not short on time. He can give me all the attention that I need and have plenty left over for you and for all of us and for Lemon Cove and Tulare County and California and the United States and the entire world. This is the God in Colossians. It says, maybe it's Hebrews. It's one of those. <laughs> it's in the Bible, I promise. It says that, that the whole universe is upheld by the word of Jesus Christ's power. 
at every moment, we continue to exist because God is consciously willing that we exist. He is spinning the stars all through the sky and all the ones that you can't even see. He doesn't run out of time or attention for any one of us. He is so big, he is the only one who can pay attention to us all and who can love us all. But secondly, if that's not enough, if if thinking abstractly about this isn't enough, to know that God pays attention to us, secondly, we have Jesus himself. We have true God of true God taking on our flesh. What could be the greater validation of who we are as human beings than that God himself loved us so much he was willing to become human himself? Remember when when God makes Adam and Eve on the sixth day, what does he say? I ask this all the time. You should know the answer. It's been 10 years. What does he say? Well, he does say don't eat. What, uh, but what does he say even before that? When he makes them, he says they are good. And he loves us. And the fact that Jesus has come proves that he loves us. And Jesus does God's stuff for us. We know that God is interested in our lives because Jesus was interested in the lives of the disciples. And he said, go and tell everyone about me because I'm going to be interested in everybody, everywhere, at every time. There's that uh, old song, right? Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Mona, I see you because I didn't get the key at all, did I? You're like, that was wrong. But you know the song, right? And it's true. And it's true. Even on the sea, in the storm, he loves us. He loves us and he comes to us. Now, Peter, he doesn't realize all of this. He's not in there doing philosophy in the boat while the rest of the disciples bail out, and that's why he's got this figured out. Peter just sees Jesus, and he responds. And he says, Jesus, he is walking on the water toward us. Lord, if you command me, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Augustine, about 1,600 years ago, reading this same passage, he wrote this. He said, let the God-man command. Let Jesus command so that Peter can do what he can't do just as a man. You get that? Jesus commands, and he says, walk on the water. Get out and walk on the water. And then he doesn't like, he's going to sink. This is going to be great. He's not a practical joker. He empowers Peter to walk on the water. And Peter got down, Augustine says this, and he got down and began to walk over the water. And Rocky, which is what Peter's name means, Rocky was able to do it because the rock had given the order. Folks, Jesus Christ has called this church and all of his people everywhere to be the light of the world. You know why you can do it? It's not because of who you are. It's not because of your abilities. It's not because of your gifts. It's not because of your personality. It's not because you are genuine and authentic. God may use all of those things, but you can be the light of the world because Jesus told you to. And he will not leave you hanging on the water. And what an adventure 
mean, think of the lives that we plan for ourselves. You think of it, did anyone have, anyone here, what did you want to be when you grew up? Somebody shout this out. What do you want to be when you, when you grew up? What do you still want to be someday when you are grown up? <laughs> a doctor. What else? A teacher. What else? A nurse. What else? Actor. Great. What else? A singer. A secretary. That's wonderful. I, I think I wanted to be everything when I grew up. It's like, I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a scientist. You know, what's the nerdiest thing I wanted to be? I'm going to be a pastor. I had all of these dreams about when I grew up. And you know what? The dreams are never as good as the reality that Jesus Christ gives to us. Because in your dreams, did you ever imagine walking on the water? Were you like, I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to be a fisherman, one day I'm going to meet this guy, and I'm going to be in the storm on a lake, and he's going to come to me, he's going to walk on the water to me, and he's going to say, I'm going to say, can I walk on the water too? And he's going to say, I would love for you to walk on the water, get out and do it, and I'm going to get out and I'm going to walk on the water. You know what we do is as we're growing up, this is like Disney's big thing, right? They get angry that we do this. We find children, and children are like, oh, I want to be this when I grow up. And we're like, oh, yeah, you can't make any money doing that, right? And just pour cold water on them. You say, oh, you want to be that? Well, you have to be really good at math. Like, you tell that, that's a death sentence for most children, right? Yeah, I'm not doing that if I have to be good at math. <laughs> and we tell people all of these, and we're like, you could never do that. And even if we don't say it, we think it sometimes, don't we? And Disney is out there telling us, anyone can do anything. And we know that's a lie, right? It's a lie. You don't have any arms, you're not going to be a great tennis player. I don't care how big you dream. It's just never going to happen. But if Jesus commands, and he will command you to do crazy things that you never thought, like in the middle of the storm, getting out and walking on the water, like moving to Carson City, like keeping coming to Lemon Cove Community Church, even though you're like, I don't know what our future is going to be. Jesus is calling on you to do and to be all of these things. And if he has commanded you to do it, he will deliver and he will take you there. I don't know if you've noticed, but... That's what we've been doing for the last 10 years. Sometimes it was kind of sneaky. We didn't understand it was happening. And, and hopefully every year before that, and even more hopefully every year after this one, starting today, we're going to be on the wild adventure where Jesus says, do it. And we're going to say, there's no way we can do it, Jesus, but we're going to go and you got to hold us up. 10 years ago, you decided to keep the doors of this church open when our old denomination thought you couldn't do it. You ran the church, just 30 or so of you, and you waited for God's provision. You decided this random guy fresh out of seminary was who God was calling to be your pastor. Man, you took a chance on that. You moved to a new denomination to make a new life for yourself, even though resources to help you were essentially non-existent at the time, because you said, this is where God is leading us. This is how we be faithful in this place. When the church budget was under $100,000, we raised $60,000 to prepare this facility for mission. We, uh, re we paved the uh, courtyard over here so we'd have overflow capacity, even though we didn't need it. We built the children's toy because we said we want children here. We rebuilt parts of the social hall. I think that Bill Ward kicked in some extra money along with the guys who were helping him over there. But we rebuilt the social hall so that it would be a place where we could gather and love each other and fellowship together. And then... The the funniest thing of all is we rebuilt the parking lot out here. If you didn't see the old parking lot, that thing was a disaster. 
and we rebuilt the parking lot. And everyone said, why? That was the most expensive thing that we did. And everyone said, why are we rebuilding this parking lot? It's so expensive. And then when the parking lot was finished and all the other jobs were finished, no one would stop talking about the parking lot. They're like, a parking lot is so nice. And it's incredible. And people, they would come and they wouldn't be turned off to the church because they're like, man, we, we can't even get into this dang parking lot. We're not going to that church. We make really good decisions, wise decisions about whether or not to go to churches, don't we? Like, that parking lot stinks. <laughs> you reached out into the community in new ways. And sometimes I was running way ahead of you and you said, Ian, that's too far. You need to come back a little bit. And sometimes you ran ahead of me. We expanded the food pantry and we're still doing it. We're building relationships with people who are not like the 30 folks who were here initially. We said, we want to be a church that's, uh, this is my favorite story, and I've never told any of you until this moment. I'm going to tell you now. Uh, the first year I was here, I said, you know, this church, we're First Presbyterian Church of Lemon Cove, and a lot of people come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, I'd come to your church, but I'm not a Presbyterian. I say, we need to reach those people. We are the only church in Lemon Cove. Session, what do you think about changing the name of the church to Lemon Cove Community Church? The session said, that's a terrible idea. And a year later, one of the elders came up to me and said, you know, I've been thinking, every once in a while, people say, I would come to your church, but I'm not Presbyterian, and we're the only church in Lemon Cove. And what if we changed our name to Lemon Cove Community Church? And I said, that's an awesome idea. Would you please bring that up to session? <laughs> and we did it. Not because we hated our history, but because we were excited about our future. By God's grace, in 10 years, we baptized 24 people. Our attendance doubled from about 30 to about 60 and sometimes more. We lived through COVID together. Man, that was an achievement. Not that we all survived. Most people survived, but that we did it together. And I think we all resolved. We all decided at one point, and everyone owned this, that whatever decisions we make, I may agree with or I may not agree with, but we're going to do this together. God, like... I am amazed. I am amazed. We built a thriving small group ministry. And by the way, if you aren't in one, you need to change that yesterday. Talk to Nancy today. Because just coming on Sunday is not going to transform your life. It's just, you need an everyday savior. You need an everyday faith. Get connected to one of our small groups or somebody's small group somewhere. Do BSF, but be connected. And over the years, I've had people who are interested in my life and my career, and they encouraged me to move on to a new ministry, a bigger and better ministry. And I always told them, you don't know Lemon Cove. Right? Right. right. This isn't a stepping stone to something bigger or more significant this is a real ministry, and God cares about people here deeply. And I know that because he answers our prayers, because he has grown his church, and because it's not something that's going to die when one person leaves, no matter who that person is. This church is something wonderful, and God has big plans for it. Lemon Cove is no one's stepping stone to something else. It's an exciting walking on water sort of ministry. And would you remember that as you look for a new pastor? And I want you to embrace that. 
God has called Kayla and I and our family away, not just for me, but for you. He has big walking on water plans for you. And don't you ever let yourself talk otherwise or think otherwise. If God calls me away, it's in part because he is getting you ready for the next step. He is not setting you back. It's in part because he knows who you need for the next stage of life together here. And it's not me. And that's a good thing even though it's hard. But let's get back to Peter. Peter steps out onto the water, and sure enough, he can walk. He takes one step, and another step, and maybe another, but then he takes his eyes off Jesus. See, it wasn't magic keeping his eyes on Jesus. It's not like a sports superstition, like if you just don't wash your underwear, the 49ers will keep on winning. <laughs> you might want to stay away from the Wyatts for a while. I don't know, so. <laughs> I had to get that last shot in, so. <clears throat> no, the problem was that when Peter took his eyes off Jesus, he forgot how big Jesus was because he saw how big the wind and the waves were. No one can walk on the water by looking at the size of the waves. This church, not going to get to the next place by saying our obstacles are so big. But there's nothing we can't do to love others and to find power to live in our salvation if we always keep in front of us just how big Jesus is. Guys, we got a town to love says population 300 on the sign. There's 60 or 70 of us here. Sounds like a lot, but Jesus is big enough. And especially where I'm not and especially where you are not, Jesus is big enough. He's big enough for this church to be the city on the hill Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount, to be the light of the world, not alone. We're not the only Christians in the world, not the only church in our larger community. But God can do that here because of who he is. And what a life follows from that. It is the best life you can imagine. When John the Baptist wanted assurance that Jesus was really the Messiah, Jesus responded, the lame walk, the blind see, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. What life could be a greater adventure what could be more exciting to wake up to every morning than Jesus when we see who he is, when we see him walking on water, when we see him rising from the dead, when we see him forgiving even the dirtiest sinner, even me. About 30 years ago, the Christian singer Stephen Curtis Chapman released a song, uh, The Great Adventure. Remember that one, Steve? You don't? Oh, no, okay. Well, the music is probably a little dated in some ways today, so it might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I, I love it. The message in it is exciting. The chorus goes, saddle up your horses. We got a trail to blaze through the wild blue yonder by God's amazing grace. Let's follow our leader into the glorious unknown. This is life like no other. Whoa! <laughs> 
<laughs> this is the great adventure. <laughs>